Hey guys, this is Everything Missing or Murdered podcast. My name is Andrea, and I apologize for this being late. I think I'm going to have it every Tuesday. And the reason why it's really late this week is because I had technical difficulties in my last computer. So I'm just... I got a new computer. I figured I would try to use it, and hopefully it doesn't crap out on me like my other one did. It's a better brand, I think, so it should work. Uh, This case is a little older than I usually do. Uh, If if old cases are not your thing, that's really fine. I still think it needs to be talked about because it happened so long ago and there is no resolve to the case. I don't like unsolved cases. I do, but in in the sense of it's interesting and I want to know why they went missing, I don't like that it hasn't been solved. So let's get into this. On November 10th, 1951, Kenneth, Daniel, and David Klein left their house in the 2900 block of Colfax Avenue at 1.30 in the afternoon. This happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They wanted to go to Fairview Park at Lindale and 29th Street, just a few blocks from their house. Their older brother, Gordon Klein, who was nine at the time, had a problem with his sheath for his knife and told the three younger siblings... To go to the park without him and he would meet them afterwards. When he arrived after his brothers were not there, he knew something was wrong because they would stray even further than that and they've never really disappeared. Gordon searched the play area and the rest of the park but found no trace of the three brothers. Kenneth, Daniel, and David were never heard from again. After 4.30 p.m., their mother, Betty, called the police but they did not take it seriously. After 8 p.m. that same night, she called the police again, and they gave her the whole speech of, oh, we have some policy of letting some time pass for missing persons and did not immediately send anyone over to investigate. After 6 p.m. the next evening, the police agreed to finally start searching for the boys, which I think is a big mistake on their part because even if it's been 24 hours, 48 hours, these boys, they're four, six, and eight. They're not teenagers. They're not adults. Not saying that teenagers and adults shouldn't be looked at immediately. I think everybody should. But these are kids. They didn't run away. They didn't hate their family. They just wanted to go to the park and play with their big brother. That's all I wanted to do. So to not take it seriously to me, just I know it was a different time period, but even nowadays, like if I just don't know why they didn't take it seriously. It's crazy to me. The police believe the Klein brothers drowned in the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River ran near the Fairview Park. A tracking dog was used in the disappearance, and the dog traced their scent to the riverbank where the dogs lost their trail. It was a very thorough search, but nothing turned up to where they could have gone or if there were any bodies. The police lowered the level of the Mississippi River many times and dragged the bottom of the river for any sign of their bodies, but nothing ever came of it. They thoroughly searched the neighborhoods and never found a trace. I never knew that you could lower, like, a man, or, you know, as in mankind, could lower a river. It wasn't... I didn't know that. That's interesting. You learn something new every day, I feel like. On November 12th, two hunters outside Cambridge, which is 45 minutes north of Minneapolis, told the police that two boys waved them down on the side of the road. They did not appear to be in any danger where and were standing next to a truck with a smaller boy inside the truck. 
a man came out of the building where they were stopped and asked the two hunters to help him push the truck because he was stalled. The hunters helped them with the truck, and the man and the three boys went on their way. The two hunters later found out about the missing Klein brothers and reported their sighting to the police. The police would not would get many false tips and leads. The Kleins would get harassing phone calls that did not lead anywhere until November 13th. After three days of being missing, a man named Helge Matson, who worked for the Great Northern Railroad, he saw two hats on the west bank of the river near Fifth Avenue South, two miles downstream from the Lowry Avenue Bridge and 150 feet upriver from the St. Anthony Dam. The family wanted the hats to be analyzed, but the police never sent it in, which I don't know. They obviously didn't have very much forensics back then, but it's still like they still should have taken it because you don't even know if those hats really belong to the kids. But if they did, you should take them in, in my opinion. On November 15th, this is five days after they've gone missing, the police ended their search by saying they have done everything they can do without further information. They labeled the case an accidental drowning, which I don't know how you can just label it an accidental drowning when all you saw was two hats on the side of the riverbank. Two hats. How do you know these hats even belong to those boys? And you, there's not enough evidence to say that they drowned. They only had those two hats. And then there was a cave nearby that had a toy that could have been their toy. Uh, So that's their evidence that they drowned. Um, They never found the bodies. I know that the Mississippi River is huge and it it takes over a wide area, but there were dams right there. So a body could have hit the dam. It would have stopped. It wouldn't have gone under. It would have just stopped. I mean, depending on how large the the dam was. But bodies are found all the time in that river, so I don't understand how they were never... If they did, let's say for argument's sake, they did drown. How did their bodies never wash up? It just is crazy to me. Um, The the FBI ended up getting involved in this case um, by... Because the Kleins received a postcard that had a ransom note on it, which is interesting. And um, a postal worker intercepted it and passed it to the local field office of the FBI. I'll read what it says. I, I got this from a book called The Lost Brothers, a family decades-long search. I'll put the title of that in the show notes. Um, it's written by Jack Elhai. And the note says, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Klein, I suppose you are worrying about your three children who disappeared Saturday. Don't worry, they will be all right if you raise $15,000 by Tuesday, November 20th. If you don't raise the money by November 20th, we will have to dispose of your three children. If you want your three children, drive out to on Highway 169 at 11 p.m., 10 miles north of Princeton, Minnesota. You will then see a blue Ford by the roadside. Inside will be your three children. If you have the $15,000 with you, they will be yours. Don't try any tricks. Meaning, you know, don't get in, the police involved, but the FBI got involved because it is a federal crime, the kidnapping is, so it makes sense why they got involved. And they were asking for a ransom. So it's kind of serious. 
and um, they set up like hosting and everything. The boy's dad, Kenneth, drove to the meeting spot and the FBI followed to see if anyone would follow him. The FBI called the sheriff of the area to ask about the people that lived there. They are basically just farmers that have been there for years and no one ever came to get the ransom money. The police continued to search the Mississippi River dams and the Klein's family posted a reward for any information, but no one ever claimed that either. In the 1990s, they tried to get their story told on the Unsolved Mysteries, but they dropped it, not really sure why. I couldn't find any information on that. And then the Maury Povich show was also interested in the case, but they just cited against it as well, which is crazy to me. I don't know why they couldn't... I don't know why they didn't want to... Maybe because there wasn't very much information on where these two boys are. I mean, literally, there's not a lot of evidence in this case. I'll read this um, little bit from the book. There was this man named Everett Doolittle who, I will quote, um, he was a longtime law enforcement officer and head of the cold case unit at the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, which is BCA for short. And he said, That the investigation of important crimes often details and falls into the category of cold cases because of a flaw he has identified as disease of certainty. This problem is fatal to investigations. It occurs when officers feel so convinced of their own beliefs that they allow themselves to become tunnel visioned about one conclusion and ignore clues that might point them in another direction. Those who resist the disease may be ridiculed and ostracized for their supposed lack of understanding and inability to see the truth if all their coworkers share the same beliefs and assumptions about the investigation. I don't want to call it a disease. That's wrong to me. But um, I, I agree in a certain extent. I feel like, I mean, especially with this, uh, maybe not in all cases, I don't blame the police ever. But in this situation, it's like you can't just assume it was a drowning. There's so many other factors that could be considered, especially when there was no evidence of a drowning. I mean, there wasn't really any evidence that they were kidnapped either, but I don't know. It's just odd to me that they would just automatically assume that and market that. And they only searched for five days. How can you only search for three little boys for five days? I feel like it should have gone longer than that. And since there has never been a body found of either one of either one child it's just crazy to me to think that it's still considered a drowning case there's other things that could have happened and in 1951 minneapolis police investigators faced a shortage of telling evidence in the klein case they focused on the possibility of their brothers drowning in the mississippi river without giving consideration to other possibilities they did not seriously contemplate the chance that the boys were abducted or even murdered so it, the case remained unsolved and a risk of being lost and forgotten. And that's why, that's why you should, that's why you, like news media should pay attention to it. And it's not, and because it's so old, you know, it's, this is why I'm talking about it today. I mean, it's just so sad that they've never been found and it didn't get the attention it deserved. 
today abduction would be high on the list of possibilities in an investigation of a case like this. But I guess back then it really wasn't, and sadly, that's what happened. There are some suspects in the case, though, and I'm going to get into that in one second. I have to pause for just a minute to take a drink of my water. All right, sorry, I had to get something to drink for my throat. It's really scratchy all of a sudden. I wanted to mention that both parents are no longer living, and they never, never gave up hope. And I feel like the parents not knowing what happened to their children is just really sad to me. I can't imagine going through that, living so long, trying your best to find your children and never, ever knowing what happened to them. It's really depressing. So I hope someday that the people that are still living in their family can find out what happened to them. All right, so suspects. Richard C. Fossey. He worked at the Fairview Park at the time of the Klein Brothers. And the reason why I think he is worth mentioning is because the police investigated him in another case uh, that happened on October 18th, 1955. I won't go too much into this case because it he actually didn't actually do anything in that case, but it's still worth mentioning. Um, the naked bodies of three young boys, John Schusler, age 13, his brother Anton Jr., aged 11, and their friend Robert Peterson, age 14, were found in a ditch in the Robinson Woods Forest Preserve on the northwest side of Chicago. Now, Chicago is not very far from Minneapolis, and he they, they thought he might have had something to do with that, and it's similar in a sense. Three boys, three young boys. These boys, unfortunately, were found dead, but they did get justice. Somebody was found guilty of their murders, so at least that happened, and it wasn't Fosse, but I still felt like it was worth mentioning, and he was a suspect in that, so it makes sense to talk about him here. We have Leonard Lidholm. He is a garage owner and acquaintance of Kenneth Klein, who was her dad. Um... He was helping the family during the disappearance. He got very much involved and adamant about stuff. So when, when somebody puts themselves in that kind of spot, you might think that it's suspicious. So so they could have had something to do with it, especially if it's like, it's not like he was a family friend or anything. He was just an acquaintance of their dad. So it's still, I mean, even a family friend, probably that would be suspicious too if they were just so into the case. But, so yeah, it makes sense that he's on the list. One witness claims there were two men in the neighborhood who was playing basketball and went to the park with the three boys who fit the ages of the Klein brothers. So another sighting of them, just like with the two hunters. Helge Matson was listed as a suspect because he found their hats on the riverbank. Now, he did work not too far from there, so it is possible he just saw it and reported it to the police. But anything's possible. And then we have, last but not least, Lloyd Paddock. Seems to be on the top of the list to me because he was a 40-year-old neighbor on Bryant Avenue North. He was a truck driver. If the Klein brothers went through neighbor's yards instead of on the street towards the park, they would have cut through his first. Lloyd had his truck bed replaced soon after the boys went missing. He also had a new concrete basement in his house. 
He was supposed to have a friend help him out, but instead finished the basement himself. So that's suspicious to me, um, because not necessarily the truck bed, but the basement. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to have this done. Let my friend come over, but never mind. I think I can do it myself. I mean, maybe it's not totally suspicious because he could have realized the job wasn't that hard, so he decided to do it himself. But I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be put on the list because of this, so it makes sense that he is. Both Fosse and Paddock are no longer living, and that doesn't matter if if we, you know, if the police can eventually find out what happened to these boys and who did it, if they don't think they drowned and if they think something else happened to them, it, you know, whoever did this to them, if they're not living anymore, that's okay. We can still at least know what happened to them and who's responsible. I mean, you can't arrest people that are no longer here, but you can at least, it's still justice in my opinion. I chose this case because it is very old. I think the police made a mistake on not searching for them right away and just assuming it was a drowning. The Mississippi River, like I said, is very large and it goes over a large amount of area. So it is still very possible that they drowned. But with all the sightings of young boys and the ransom note, it just seems like there could have been something more. I'm not saying it's the police's fault, but, but only searching for five days for three little boys... Like I said, they weren't teenagers, they weren't adults. It's, I don't think it's possible that they ran away. They had a very happy home life. I just, I don't think that's what happened. I could be wrong. I'm not an expert. Don't take what I'm saying with a <laughs> grain of salt because I'm, I'm not a police investigator. It's a hard job. I know it is. I'm not blaming them whatsoever, but five days, I'm just not over the whole five days and, and not searching until the next day for three little boys. It just today, it would be different, I think. Okay, so Daniel Klein was four years old at the time of his disappearance. He was two foot 11 and 35 pounds. Daniel was last seen wearing a red snowsuit, blue overalls, a blue shirt, brown rubber boots, a brown plaid woolen hat, and brown or red mittens. Daniel has brown hair and blue eyes. He has a scar near his eyebrow and a scar in the center of his forehead. David Klein was six years old at the time he, of his disappearance. He was three foot six and 55 pounds. He was last seen wearing a brand, brown sheepskin coat, blue jeans, black overshoes, black mittens, and red-gray a red and gray corduroy hat. David has brown hair and gray eyes. He had two front teeth that were large and crooked, and he has a scar on his thumb and a scar on the right side of his lower lip. Kenneth Klein Jr., he was eight years old at the time of his disappearance, three foot seven and 55 pounds. Kenneth was last seen wearing a red jacket, a yellow plaid shirt, blue jeans, overshoes, black mittens, and a red stocking hat with a black rim. Kenneth has brown hair and brown eyes. He has a mole on the front of his body, a quarter-inch round birthmark on his body. He has a scar on the left side of his forehead. And that's everything I have for you on this case. I'm going to be putting the book that I read 
in the show notes. I'm also going to be adding the two articles I found about the other boys that were found murdered. And um, I have, I'm going to put my Instagram, my Twitter that I just made for this podcast, and my email if you guys have any cases you would like to hear um, that are unsolved murdered cases or unsolved missing cases, please let me know. Or anything, anything you want to hear that isn't well known would be would be great as well. And any tips that you have, because I am still working out the kinks, obviously, so I apologize. I feel like I'm slowly getting better at this talking thing, but um, just let me know. Thank you, and I'll talk to you guys next time.